You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. This month, and by the way, Sunday School does topics by month. Um, this month, we, we are calling it Wisdom of the Elders. And so we have asked uh, various elders at New Life Church, like so not just old people, but the actual role of elder at New Life Church. Did you know we have elders at New Life? It's kind of our governing body, our, our praying body of New Life Church. Uh, they, they meet at least once a month, and they have meetings with Brady, talk about direction, make huge uh, decisions and directions for New Life Church. And so we've asked, uh, we have four Sundays this month. We've asked four of them to come and to speak with us. And so we have the privilege, privilege today of hearing Scott Palmer. This is Scott Palmer, everybody. Um, Scott is, uh, has been an elder for a year and a little more. And he's the newest elder, and he's the youngest elder, so he calls himself the year elder? Yelder. Yelder. He calls himself the Yelder because he's the, the youngest of the elders. Um, but he's here today to speak to us. He's been around New Life for a little more than a decade. He grew up in Colorado Springs. He's got two boys, and his wife is here, Bethany, as well. Girls and guys, you should meet her. Um, they, they do uh, spiritual, financial, marriage counseling, and they've written four books. They have another book coming out. Uh, it's like Sense and Sensibility is one of them. First comes love, then comes money. First comes love, then comes money. Sounds like a good title, right? Um, <laughs> and so they, they are no uh, strangers to new life, no strangers to the marriage and, and financial world uh, as far as Christianity goes and speaking. And so I'll let you introduce more of yourself. Scott Palmer, Great. ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Well, it, it's an honor for me to be here. Um, we, we serve, elders kind of serve in a different, a different way. We're not down to the trenches like Joe and like the pastors and like David. But what, one of the main things that we do is we pray. And I, wanted, I really wanted to let you know that we talk about the mill. We pray over the mill. I was actually in this room yesterday for some time just praying over this room, praying for this service, and just praying for you. And so I just want to start off with a quick prayer just to invite the Holy Spirit into this time. And uh, then we're, we're going to get going. And I'm excited. Lord Jesus, we just love you so much. And we're just so in awe of who you are and what you do. Lord, I beg that you fill this space. I pray that you open our ears and our hearts and our eyes to you. That you take whatever golden nugget that I might be able to deliver today to make a change in someone's life. To make it better. And to have the Holy Spirit move in them more and more. In your holy and precious name. Amen. I want to start off with uh, introducing my wife. This is, this is Bethany, and like Joe said, we, uh, we have a um, kind of two things that we do. We actually provide financial planning for Christian organizations. We do about 200 401ks worldwide for Christian organizations, and we also do this little crazy thing called the money couple. And so Bethany and I are very used to speaking together in front of groups. We do, we do a lot of media, and we've been blessed with a lot of exposure. And as we were talking about the email that we got that said, would you mind coming and spending some time with the mill group? And I said, great, no problem. I had naturally assumed that we would be talking about love and money because it, it, it dominates so much of our lives. I mean, money touches just about every aspect. And I'm used to speaking with Bethany. I always have Bethany here. I'm a big tangent guy, so when we're doing conferences and stuff, I'll get on some rabbit trails. and go, good point. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but good point. <laughs> Let's get back on task. That's why guys need to be married. Anyways, but... What uh, it was interesting about three weeks ago, 
the Lord started kind of stirring something to me that was, you're not going to be talking about love and money, which is scary for me because I talk about love and money just about every week. We were just in Nashville on Friday. We're going to be out in Dallas speaking to mothers of preschoolers. So that's, that's kind of what I do. And so I was thinking, wow, well, first of all, what am I supposed to share with this group of young people? And the second thing was, how am I going to talk to Bethany about this? Because it's, you know, I'm married. I want to make sure she's happy and and I didn't want her to feel like I wanted to do something different without her. So it was so great the way the Lord worked this out because about a week and a half ago, Bethany sat down with me. She said, you know, there's something on my heart. And when your wife says that, guys, even if you're not married, that's kind of like, open your minds there because that's an important one. She says, I don't think I'm supposed to speak with you at the mill next weekend. I said, really, why? And she kind of went through, she said, you know what, I think you need to share about your struggles of what you went through when you were in your 20s and early 30s. And she was there for a lot of that time. We were really good friends. We weren't dating in my, mid, in my mid-20s, but we were good friends. So she saw a lot of the struggles that I had gone through in this stage of life that you're in right now. And I thought, okay, well, then that's what we're going to talk about. So what I started talking to her was, well, what do you think the biggest struggles that I went through and, and where do you see God moving the most? And she said, you had a major issue with contentment. And she was so right on. I was a content disaster. I had no contentment. I actually grew up here in Colorado Springs, went to the University of North Dakota. Anybody from North Dakota? Okay. It's no shock there. I didn't either, but just for four years. Anybody from Minnesota? I know we must have some Minnesotans. All right, all right. We're like your ugly twin brother, North Dakota, really. We don't have the lakes, but we got the cold. Um, I'm not going to go there because we had some other sayings in North Dakota, but not appropriate for college. So, I mean, not appropriate for this group. But... So I went to University of North Dakota. Now, I didn't really consult God in going to college. I just decided, hey, that's where I'm going to go, and I'm going to become um, a pilot. So I went to school, four years, froze to death. North Dakota, North Dakota is the reverse of hell. Imagine how hot hell is, and imagine how cold North Dakota is, and it really, it really is the reverse. It's my junior year, finals week. I just put my contacts in. The president of University of North Dakota and North Dakota State hated each other, so if one canceled, the other wouldn't, just to say, hey, we're tougher than you are. That makes a lot of sense. So anyways, I walk outside. It is so cold. I blink because it's like jumping into a cold pool. My contacts, because of my saline solution, freeze on my eyeballs, and my contacts pop out. That is cold. I go running back into my apartment, throw my sunglasses down. I can't see anything. I tell my roommate, you're not going to believe this. My contacts popped off because my saline solution froze in my eyes. I can't see anything. So I'm looking for my glasses. He says, well, let's go, let's go outside and look for the contacts. I'm like, really? 60 mile an hour winds? They're in Minnesota by now. So don't worry about it. <laughs> so I get my glasses on. I'm running out the door and he goes, Scotty, I found your contacts. And I'm like, what do you mean you found my contacts? He goes, they are frozen to the inside of your sunglasses. Sure enough, those suckers popped off and just froze. <laughs> so anyways, So when I say the reverse of hell, I'm not making light of hell, but really, North Dakota is the reverse of hell. So went to University of North Dakota, got my degree in aeronautics, kind of had this epiphany my senior year of that I was really a bad pilot. That's a bummer. That's kind of like going through counseling, and then you sit down and you're going to counsel someone, and halfway through the session, you're crying and they're helping you. It was kind of one of those moments. Mine involved almost killing some people, which is not something you want on the to-do list for a pilot. So I come back, and I'm totally not content. I'm like, you know, Lord, what, do I, what should I do? I don't know what to do. I went and got my securities license because my dad told me to. But then I noticed people didn't want to talk to me on the phone. Total lack of contentment. I'm, I'm, I'm got to just have all this anxiety. And so then I just, so my dad says, hey, listen, you need to get some thick skin. You need to go sell MCI long distance. 
That'll make you a man. So I'm like, okay. And that's when we used to call people during the middle of dinner. And um, so I went and sold MCI long distance from 6 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon. Not content with that job at all. And then I decided, well, I need to have more fun because, you know, people hang up on me. They say things about my mom. She's an amazing woman. They don't even know her. You know, whatever. Total lack of contentment. So then I decide, okay, I'll go work at Old Chicago across the street. I mean, that'll be fun. I'll bar back. It's free beer. Makes a lot of sense to me. So what do I do? I go work at Old Chicago. Now, this was back in the early 90s where we did a lot of staff shots. I, did, I showed up to church with headaches a lot in that stage of my life. Totally not content because I was trying to medicate that lack of contentment. That was my 20s. Well, then what happens is I decide, okay, I should get into a serious relationship, get engaged. That sounds like a good thing because then I'll be content. Bad idea. If you think that's going to make you content, (laughs) you're an idiot. No offense, but you are. So what do I do? Well, then I get engaged. Now, the problem, not that getting engaged is bad. I love my wife. 14 years, she's, she's a bomb. She's, she's everything to me. But you just want to make sure you get engaged to the right person. So anyways, I get engaged to the wrong person. The day the invitations show up, my knees are knocking against. The Lord clear as a bell says, don't get married. I say, okay. Call her on the phone. Hey, we need to talk. Take the invitations over. <laughs> Good news is we got the invitations. Bad news is the wrong date's on there because it's never. So we... <laughs> so... A break off that, okay? So, huh, lack of contentment. I am, do I sound like a disaster? I was. It was my 20s. It was terrible. So I decided I'm not going to get engaged. I'm working for my dad. Actually, the financial planning thing starts taking off. So I'm like, okay, still not content at all. Then I decide, I get this opportunity to move out to California. 26 years old, California. That sounded like a good idea. Moved to my, one of my favorite places in the world, Pasadena, California. I was already um, a huge Lakers fan, so that worked out perfect. And I got to see Wayne Gretzky ski when he was skating for the Kings. So L.A. made a ton of sense for me. Go out to L.A., good job. Living in an amazing place. Have a nice car, total lack of contentment. And I couldn't figure out why. Why? I mean, I'm praying, I'm doing all the stuff, I'm going to Saturday night service. That's when the younger service was for us. I was doing everything right. At least I thought I was. But this lack of contentment was just overwhelming to me. And that is how I would kind of summarize my 20s, was this total lack of contentment. So what I want to do today is spend some time with you and give you some topics to talk around your tables about how I believe Paul gives us the three keys to contentment. And not only the three keys to contentment, but the three promises that come along with that contentment. So what we're going to do is we're going to open our Bibles. I'm going to be bouncing around the Scripture a little bit, but if you've got them, open them. It's funny, I'm so used to working on my iPhone for working out of my Bible, and then I was trying to read it. Part of the nice thing is when you hit your 40s, you start losing death perception. So I actually have found this Bible, and even has my name on it. Um, So what I want to do is start off in Philippians 4 to kind of start talking about the three keys to contentment. It's Philippians 4.4. The interesting thing about this is that you've probably read this scripture a hundred times. I know I had. But when I really started digging into this scripture, certain things popped off the page that never have before. So I'm going to read the first two verses that we're going to cover. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, Pastor Brady talks about all the time, and so does David. They talk about all the time. If God says something twice, it means listen to me. I've got an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old. If they listen to me the first time, it's about a 50-50 shot. But the second time, if I say, boy, or Cole, or Cade, or you, listen to me, I tend to get their attention. So that's what the Lord's doing here. It says, rejoice. In the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness, guys, be evident to all. 
The Lord is near. First key to contentment is rejoice. It's that easy. It's the first one. We have to learn how to rejoice. I want you to take two minutes around your table and talk about one thing that you need to rejoice about in your life right now. And then when we, actually we'll just do a minute. Well, two minutes is fine. And then I want some examples of what you need to rejoice about in your life. Give me a couple examples. You can just yell them out. I just want a couple examples of things that you need to rejoice about. Just anybody just yell it out. Job. job. 8.4% unemployment rate. I rejoice about my job. What else? Moving to the springs. <laughs> I love that. We live in one of the best places in the world. What else? Health. It's huge. Friends. It's a good group of people you have in here. It's something to rejoice about. I love it. All right, great examples. There's 149 different references in the Bible that tell us to rejoice. I want to read out of Deuteronomy 12:18. It says, You were to rejoice before the Lord in everything you put your hand to. Someone just brought up the fact that they are rejoicing about a job. I will tell you, I was not rejoicing about my job at MCI dialing all day, dialing and smiling. It was an amazing opportunity that I missed in my life. The Lord wants us to rejoice in what we do. Some of you are in college. Some of you are just out of college. Some of you might be living in your mom and dad's basement. Been there and done that. Kill me. Um, But I've been there. We have to take those opportunities at that stage in your life when it comes to what you're putting your hand to, to rejoice. I want you to read another scripture out of 2 Chronicles 6.41. Clothed with salvation, my faithful people rejoice. Where are we in church? We're supposed to rejoice in church. I can't tell you, when I, when I come into this body, how excited I am. One of my favorite things to do throughout the weeks is on Sunday morning is pray for people down in front after the service is done. We were designed. God wants us to rejoice. I can't tell you, do you want to sit next to the person at, at, at the table that just goes on a litany about how terrible their week was? I mean, it just takes your rejoice meter down to nothing. I mean, you're just like, okay, I'm going to get some coffee and go listen to Brady. Okay, so we've got to make sure this is a safe place. The church is, God wants us to rejoice. That's why we're here. That's why sitting with your Bible is important, and you have to do that through the week, but you have to come together with a group of of believers to rejoice. Out of Psalms 31.7, it says, "I I will be glad and rejoice in your love. You saw my affliction and knew my anguish. God knows your anguish. And you know what he calls us to do? He didn't call us to medicate. He didn't call us to go on a a 10-mile run to forget about the world. He doesn't call us to go see four movies in a row so we don't have to think about anything. He tells you to rejoice. This woman right here, my amazing bride, she owns rejoice. She gets it. She lives it. It comes out of every pore in her body. Stage 3 breast cancer, bald, chemoed out like you can't imagine, Looked like a, she looked like somebody from a concentration camp. Is she sitting in the basement crying? Is she sitting in the basement talking about how terrible her life is, how she can't believe God let her get sick? Absolutely not. She's in a first grade class with a bunch of black balloons that represent chemo, or I mean, sorry, cancer cells moving around in her body, and she's got kids jumping on these balloons. Rejoice! If you can learn how to do that in your anguish, and it doesn't have to be as, as, as major as, as cancer. It can be, I got a flat tire, and I need to come up with 120 bucks for a tire. 
But what are you going to do? Are you going to get mad? Or are you going to rejoice? God gives us the opportunity to rejoice in that circumstance. First key to contentment is rejoice. What is the promise that God gives you if you do that? Well, just keep reading. Let your, gentleness be, let, your, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I never got that before I started working on contentness. contentment. What he's saying is that if you want to be content and you rejoice, guess what? God's near. He's right there to listen to you. I have two sons. I would much rather get a, Dad, thank you. Dad, I love you. Dad, let's go spend time together. Dad, let's do this. Then whining. When they whine, I leave. When they're showing contentness and they're saying, I want to spend time with you, and they're saying, thank you, Dad, for spending time with me, guess what I do? I get near. I press into those boys. That's exactly what God is calling you to do. He's saying, in your anguish, rejoice. In your work, rejoice. And at church, rejoice. First key, rejoice the promise he's going to be near. Okay, second key to being content. Let's keep reading. Do not be anxious about anything. That was a major issue for me. I was always angry. I was always upset about something. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's the difference between prayer and petition? Actually, take two minutes to talk about at your table what the difference between prayer and petition is, and we'll come back and talk about it. Somebody, you can just yell it out. It's a good, loud group. Somebody just tell me what they think the difference between prayer and petition is. Bueller, anyone? Joe, you got the mic. Why don't you give the example of what the difference between prayer and petition is? Petition is petition is asking and prayer is more of a conversation with god absolutely anyone else anybody want to add this table said they have the answer oh (laughs) we went along the same lines and just thought that you know prayer is more like he said conversation talking with the lord and having faith that not necessarily what you want, but it'll set you on the right path while petition is a direct asking and trying to have something received that you want or need. Good. Anybody else? I always get nervous about talking with prayer with the pastor prayer sitting up here in the front row. Uh, what we discussed was petition is more like almost de- petition for us is like demanding. It's I got these signatures. Okay, you got to do what I say now. I, I did. I went through all the hoops. I went through. I did all of this. Now you got to do your part. And prayer is more of a relationship sort of thing. It's Dad, I need this, or even Dad, I want this. Yep. Can I have this? It's great. Great points. Anyone else? We, we have here David Perkins. So <laughs> I agree with all of you. Oh, it's so good. It's D. All of the above. Okay. Awesome. All right, thank you guys. I think that's, that's absolutely spot on. I think prayer is that ongoing conversation that we I think that's what we do in our car. I think that's what we do at the most intimate time in our, in our prayer times. I, to add on to the petition, I like what you brought up about signing a petition. It takes a lot of work to get a petition signed. 
Because what you're doing is you're basically taking the time to make this request over and over and over and over again. And I think God loves when we petition. Here's the crazy thing. In my 20s, I petitioned all the time. I just didn't like the answer. I mean, God, give me a job. Give me a job. MCI long distance. Really? These people hate me. Hi, this is Scott Palmer with MCI. Ding, ding. Hit my button. Next dial. I just had rejection all day. But I had petitioned the Lord for a job. I had petitioned the Lord for a job where I'd make a lot of money. And I got to tell you, I was making a ton of money doing it because I could sell. I learned how to sell on the phone. What do I do now? I have a financial planning company. We, we provide financial planning services. It's a sell. So I petitioned for something, petition, petition, petition. And even when God would give me what I needed, I didn't like the answer. So I definitely couldn't rejoice in that. I think when Beth was sick, man, we petitioned the Lord for healing. And he met that need. And there's a definite difference between prayer. If it was just about prayer, then Paul wouldn't have put prayer and. There there wouldn't have been an and. It would have just been prayer. But it's so important that you remember it's okay to keep pressing into the Lord and petitioning him for things you need, for things you want. The older I get, those petitions change. I've got two boys that I love. I've got a wife that I love. That's where I petition now. It's, it, it, it change, you change when you have kids. Your petitions change. But the Lord honors those petitions. And you have to keep pressing into him and being okay with some of those answers that you don't like. Bethany and I do a lot of media, and we had come up with this reality series, and it was called um, Financial Infidelity, Your Money or Your Wife. This is a true story. And so we're, we're at Oprah Winfrey's network. Own was just up and kicking. They were starting to bring all their reality series in. And man, about six months earlier, I felt like the Lord told me, you guys are going to have a reality series. And I still believe that will be the case. So I'm petitioning to the Lord, open these doors, open these doors, open these doors. So we got picked up by CMT, and we went through three different levels of meetings with Oprah Winfrey. And everything looked like it was going. Everybody was a yes. Oprah shows up, cleans out her entire exec. I mean, every exec at OWN that month was just gone. She fired all of them. And our show went right along with it. I'd love to say that I rejoiced that day. I'd love to say that I went, well, God, I understood that petitioning didn't work out the way I thought it would. Thank you. Let's rejoice. I was devastated. I was like, what? You've got to be kidding me. We just spent tens of thousands of dollars on a production company. I've flown out to L.A. so much, I'm getting to know the flight attendants. This is ridiculous. You've got to be kidding me. But you know what? Two months later, it hit me. And God said, this is not your time. Why? She needs to be healthy. And those two little guys do not need you guys flying out to L.A. every other week to do a reality series. So my petition was absolutely answered by God. One other thing that I petitioned the Lord for, um, I'm a huge Joel Olstein fan. And I'll admit it, I'll admit it, I, I know he, for some people, doesn't get deep enough in Scripture and all that. But if you're just kind of having a bad day, you just, you turn Joel on. And you turn the TV off and you're like, I'm just going to go sit on a bus stop and share the Lord. How you doing? We talked to you about Christ. He pumps me up. I mean, that guy, I don't know what he's talking about some of the time, but stuff I do catch is great. And I mean, he writes books. Like, I've got a couple of them, but I mean, these are the titles of his books. His books are like, um, uh, Your Best Life Now. I'm in. Um, every day of Friday. I live for Fridays. My kids, I do. I mean, I love my job, but Fridays, I get giddy. I get to pick my kids up at noon. We get to go hang out. We go see movies. We 
go to the park. I mean, Friday morning gets off to a rough start because I'm at work, but I love Fridays. So um, it, I just, a lot of his books, it's your time now. It's actually kind of a rewrite of his first book. Very well done. It was good thinking. Um, sell a million copies the second go around. Everybody makes money on that deal. But bottom line is, let's look at scripture. Genesis twenty four twelve. This is what Isaac's praying. He says, Lord, master of my God, Abraham, his dad, make me successful today. Make me successful today. Petition. I bet he prayed that all the time. I bet he prayed that, Lord, make me successful today. I mean, look at his dad. His dad was pretty successful. Make me successful today. Prayer and petition. You have to know the differences. David, uh, I, went, I attended the Desperation Conference, which is always fantastic, but I actually attended as just kind of an observer, hangout. I wasn't working. And uh, he talked about, and it really got me, about in quiet time really digging into Scripture. I, I work out every morning. I love it. And one of the things that I think I, for myself, had put into my prayer time, and I think it's still a good idea, is when I work out, I'm, either, I'm usually listening to praise music. And that's just, that's just what I do. It helps me keep going. It, it kind of helps me focus on the Lord. I get up early. I'm usually up by about 4.15, 4.30. And so that's, that's, how I, that's how my life works. Lately, I've been saying I need to press in more. And I've had the best prayer times at that early hour. And I'm petitioning. There's two or three things that are coming up for Bethany and I. There's two or three things that are coming up for the kids. And that is my time to petition. You have to take the time to petition. One other scripture, and then we're going to talk about the, the promise that goes along with that. Um, 2 Chronicles 6.35. Then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea slash petition and uphold their cause. If you have a cause in your life, petition. It's how you're going to get it done. In my 20s, I, I was a foxhole prayer. Oh, this terrible thing's happening. Okay, I'll just get quiet, scrunch down and say, God, please save me, please save me, please save me. I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just did that. I lost another job. Save me, save me, save me. That's, that is such a shallow way to pray. And, and, and although God wants to hear those needs, and I'm not saying that those prayers aren't important, you have to put some energy into it. You have to put some thought into it. God says, I'll get it. I'll get, I'll get the message. He tells us to plea or petition. So what, what happens when we start to do that? What is, the, what is the promise that comes out of that? The promise is this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which means I don't know if we're totally supposed to understand God all the time. I don't. Will guard. Here's your promise. If you petition, what is he going to do? He's going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, that is a huge promise. I've never gotten that before. But he's going to guard my heart and he's going to guard my mind in Christ Jesus. Who better to guard my heart and mind than God? I mean, really, if my mind is going somewhere else, but I'm petitioning God and I'm praying to God and he's watching that mind, is he going to let me go there? If I'm not supposed to be looking at something on the computer, if, I'm, if my mind's going down a negative path, if, if I'm, I'm getting involved in something I don't want to be in, and the Holy Spirit is jumping in there saying, uh-uh, nope. That's not who you are. That's not what you do. And that's not what we are about, son. And I go, I got it. When you, when you pray and you petition the Holy Spirit right here in Scripture, he says he's going to guard your heart and mind. I want my sons to have their, their minds and hearts guarded. And man, I do my best. I do. You know, my son, he learned a major swear word from school. And I, 
I've been working on him not knowing that one for 10 years. And he came home and announced to me that, you know, some kid had written it on the mirror, and now he knew what the F word was, and I was devastated. I'm not there to guard his heart and mind. You know who was? God. Because he knew it was wrong. He knew that's a word that he wasn't supposed to say. Thank God, because I'm going to do a terrible job as a dad, guarding his heart and mind. But God will. So prayer and petition. Okay, let's talk about the third thing. What's the third thing to contentment? Let's read scripture. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if, remember that word, if, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whenever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Think about it. Think about such things. The third key to contentment is you have to think about the good things. Think about them. Paul gives us a litany here. This couldn't be any clearer if he tried. He even throws the word if. He says, if the list I give you on top, if you can't find anything about what is true or what is noble or what is right or what is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, I guarantee you he's chained next to some stinky Roman soldier asking his advice. What else? What other word? Whatever. Give me some acronyms. And the guy was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I killed somebody the other day. That was pretty fun. Okay, whatever is fun. I mean, that's the kind of, you know, kind of a gross example, but thanks. You know, Caesar, Augustus, Menagas, whatever. So, but there's Paul, and he's just coming up with words. And then he throws this crazy word in there, which I've driven by a hundred times, if. I think that was Paul saying, seriously, if you can't get anything from this list, I'm going to give you a couple more. If you're an idiot, then anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about it. Somebody brought up when we were talking about rejoice, look at where we live. Listen, if you can't come up with one good thing, To think about, just go look at Pike's Peak. I mean, it's his artwork. Okay, take two minutes and talk about the table, about something great that you need to think and focus on this week. Two minutes. It's kind of of interesting when you get a group of people talking about some of the good things that they're going to focus on or the exciting things, how the dynamic of a room can change. We do a great job. And this, I don't don't care if you're a Christian or non-Christian, humans do a great job of focusing on the negative over the positive. It's just kind of how we run. I mean, how many times, I can't imagine how many times I've come home to Beth and she said, hey, how was your day? Oh, it was awesome. But, boop, this thing happened. Oh, we, it was a great day, but, boom. We automatically use that word but to go negative. And so what happened if we said, it was a great day. God blessed me here, 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 and here. That's an example of thinking about the good things. Here's another crazy thing that happens. Once you start thinking about the good things, the negative stuff just kind of goes away. It still might be there in your life, but that person that you can't stand so much at work, they kind of dwindle. Once again, think about the person that you sit next to that's just got so much negativeness to them, and you ask them the question, well, give me a couple good things that, you happen, that happened this week. If they can't come up with anything, I'm not saying abandon that person, but probably not an A-plus relationship that you want to pursue, because you're not going to fix them. But for you, what you can start doing is think about the things. God loves when we think about the good things. God loves, man, I love Colorado Springs. Look at Pike's Peak. Because God's sitting up there going, I did do a good job on that one. He loves that. 
That's part of how we can, draw, we can draw ourselves closer to him is thinking about the good things. Here's your assignment for this week. I'm going to encourage you, for some of you that read your Bible once a week, twice a week, three times a week, five, whatever your deal is, I want you just to take at least the first five or ten minutes and just write out good things in your life. I have a relationship with my mom and dad. Might not be good, might be bad, I don't know. But you have one. Not everybody can say that. I have transportation. I have a job. I have the Holy Spirit. I have a church. I have a group of friends that loves me. I have this. I have that. Every day, take the time to write out what are the good things. Because you want to know why you do that? Because it's in Scripture. He tells us to do that. You want to watch your level of contentment just go through the roof? Write down what you're content about. Write down why you're encouraged. Write down how he's blessed you. We have to, have to, have to make sure that we're following this thing. Prosperity gospel, I'm 100% all about the prosperity gospel. I believe if you read this book, you'll prosper. And I 100% believe that if we can get to a level of contentment, that the Lord is just going to open things up for us. So what do we have to do? We have to think on the good things. What's the promise that comes out of that? We know that when we rejoice, we get a promise. We know that when we pray and we petition the Lord, we get a promise. What's the promise out of this? Well, it's right here. Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, I have to think Paul was probably a blast to be around. I kind of I envision Paul kind of like this stocky, tough guy that laughed all the time. And that was always the first to laugh and probably totally inappropriate. I'm sure he was like one of those inappropriate guys. He probably swore a lot. He probably, I mean, I just think he was just the most hilarious guy. But he, what he says is, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, I think he was full of joy or seen in me, put into practice. And here's the promise. And the God of peace, peace is contentment. The God of peace, the God of contentment will be with you. Once again, he's going to be with us. Not only, there's a difference between him being near and him being with us. Near, he's going to guard our hearts and mind. That's proactive. And then at the end, he says, if you do these things, I'm going to give you peace, which is my definition of contentment, and I promise I will be with you. And I don't know about you, but if I can figure out how to do this and God's going to be with me, I'm all in. And that is going to bring that level of contentment in your lives that you've never had before. Okay, guys, that's what I had. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just love you so much. And I just, I just pray over this amazing group of young men and women. Lord, this is your church. This is the future of new life. This is the future of the world, Lord. And I just pray contentment over them, Lord. I pray as they go to work this week. I pray as they're figuring out where to eat after church that you bring a level of contentment, contentment in their relationships, contentment with their family, Lord Jesus. Just breathe that into them, Lord. Let them focus on what your word tells us to do and what the promises are that you have for us, Lord. We love you. We humble ourselves in front of you, Lord. And we thank you for being in our lives. In your holy and precious name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank for coming this morning. That was good. Well, that was a great introduction to our month-long topic of wisdom of the elders. Scott, you did a great job. So everybody, you're dismissed. We're ending a little early, so leave here slowly. Meet somebody you don't know before you leave. Have a great week. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.